So if you think of it more like, how do we get organized to relate to each other well? That includes stories, what they offer, their contribution. Maybe they're places where they have needs and they need support. I would package that all together in getting organized for us to work together as community, as people who have a common mission because we follow a common Lord. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Shalane. We're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Well, Eric, it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to digging deep into another aspect of our discussion around poverty. Yeah, Shalane, great to be here with you. I am really excited and I'm really intrigued by the title of our episode today and so curious and so eager to hear our guest's answer. Can data fix poverty? (laughs) Yeah, me too. I've had the privilege of knowing Tim Day for a few years now and have come to appreciate him as just a godly, humble man who has a deep love and passion for the church and for the vulnerable. Tim is the director of national engagement with Waybase.com and the executive director of City Movement Canada. Previously, Tim served for 14 years in a senior leadership role at the Meeting House in Central Ontario, and he is the author of God Enters Stage Left, a creative retelling of God's story. Not sure if the man has any spare time. (laughs) Well, I wanted to add to that as well, Shalane. When, When I hear Tim's name, one of the first things I think of is this is one of the most connected, networked people I've ever met. And the word that immediately comes to mind is collaboration. So if this is your first time meeting Tim, I have to just say it. You are definitely in for a treat today. So welcome, Tim. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Thank you for those kind words. So Tim, we we appreciate you being here. And we love that we're digging into this question together of can data fix poverty? And so in order to start this discussion, Would you be willing to finish the sentence that we ask all of our guests, actually, which is, poverty is dot, dot, dot. I would finish that sentence by saying poverty is broken relationships, essentially, Mm. that living things grow because they're interconnected, and living things die when things start to break down. And there's either an internal breakdown or an external breakdown in relationship. And so... Everything that we associate with poverty, I bring it back to a breakdown in relationships. Uh, just in the same way a plant starves, if, if it gets no water, has no relationship with water, it starts to, to shrivel and die. So that's, that's how I define poverty. And then maybe in light of the uh, title of our session, would you be willing to define, and actually I'm going to ask you this question first, do you call it data or data? I respond to both, tomato, tomato. (laughs) Okay. So talk to us a little bit about your data hunt here. Yeah, we, there's a bit of a story behind this. And you mentioned that I worked at the Meeting House for a long time. It was a multi-site church that operated, by the time I left, I think it was 16 locations. I think there are around 18 locations right now that stretch from Ottawa to London, Ontario. So a big part of Ontario, we had uh, sites and locations and what we call home churches where people got together to support each other in their spiritual growth. So in that kind of large expanded community, any given month, we think we had 10,000 different people with us that would count the meeting house as home. And on any given Sunday might be 6,500 were there, kind of bumps and seats. So we ended up using data, if you want to use that, surveys, 
kids check in, all sorts of different ways that we would connect with people to understand how they're doing. We also do a lot of face-to-face meetings and what we call home church tours. So we, we really tried to, you know, speaking back to relationship, open up every channel to understand how people are doing, to listen and to pay attention to what was important to them because we were trying to discern what God was doing in our community. And both, you know, what are the challenges people are facing, but also what are the kind of gifts, abilities, things that are stirring in people's lives. Then because we're trying to be coordinated as a large community paying, you know, kind of like that body image, arms and legs, how do we get this whole big thing connected and Mm. working together in relationship. So when we moved out to look at the church, not just as one church or one location, but look at it as a whole, and t- applied that kind of mindset. Well, how do we know what each other's doing? We started with a listening tour across the country. And out of that then led to a millennial think tank. Again, make a long story short, got down to realize nobody had really organized all the data of the Christian sector. So the government data, which has all of our financial records, as well as what people put online, their websites or social media, that where they often describe their programs, their leadership, what their priorities are. Nobody had organized that in a way that you could, you know, work with it. If you wanted to invite people to a meeting, you couldn't invite them to a meeting in a city because not everybody had their contact information. If you wanted to talk about what was going on in a particular sector or a meeting, you couldn't have that conversation because nobody would be quite sure. So you might have an association like camping ministries or relief and development associations that would be able to speak a bit to their members and their sector. But really that bigger picture, we couldn't have that conversation. So that over a long period of time realized, if we organized all of that data, how would that help leaders be better coordinated? What type of questions would they ask? What decisions might they uh, you know, kind of approach differently? New initiatives they might spark. And so that's what got us going on organizing all the data of the Christian sector in Canada. I appreciate the way that you put that and that you you kind of touch on the human level to it, because I'm guessing I'm not the only person who, when I hear the word data, there's a little bit of a glaze that goes over my eyes. It's not (laughs) something that immediately jumps out at me as captivating or even I don't necessarily see the connection right away to the people that that data actually represents. So perhaps you could speak just a little bit more to to those people who are listening that, that go, okay, but what about, like, I thought the stories of people were the things that really mattered. How can data, you know, how does data play a role in actually connecting into the, the real world? Yeah, I think sometimes the word data doesn't serve us well. It's kind of like talking about your meal at night as content, <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, I guess it's content, but, you know, you're kind of missing the point, yeah. right? <laughs> if I sit down, I don't say I'm going out for content at, you know, the keg or something like that, right? That's so, a great way to say it. Right. So what we really want to maybe shift away from is from data is to think about it in terms of how do we understand each other? Mm-hmm. And then how do we relate to each other? I don't think of my contact list in my phone as data. I think of it as my mom and dad's phone number, my sister's phone number. And I don't also think of that as, I just think of it as a functional way for me to connect with them. Or in the same way, it's like, if I'm, you know, you read out a little bit about me, my family, it's like, now I'm going to share some data on Tim. You don't say that. I say, this is Tim. Mm -hmm. This is who he is, right? Mm -hmm. So I think if we, sometimes our words are helpful and sometimes not as helpful. So I think the way to think of it is, Stories are part of who people are, but also what they offer, what they contribute, their background, 
how well they're doing, that's all important for me to know how to relate to them. So mm-hmm. let's say if I tell you the story of Young Street Mission, but I don't tell you what programs they offer, or if I tell you mm-hmm. the story of a church, but I don't tell you the type of causes they're engaged in and the difference that they're making, I'm leaving parts of who they are out. Mm-hmm. So if you think of it more like, how do we get organized to relate to each other well? That includes stories what they offer, their contribution. Maybe they're they're places where they have needs and they need support. I would package that all together in getting organized for us to work together as as community, as people who have a common mission because we follow a common Lord. So that's how I'd frame it. So it's probably one of those areas where we have to keep working at our language in ways that we talk Mm. and not necessarily just adopt corporate language, business language, or government language, but kind of build our own ways of talking and understanding how we how we share this important information about each other so that we make sure we're having the right relationships. Going back to that issue of people who relate well thrive, and people who that have mm-hmm. relational breakdowns struggle. And I know because both Eric and I were part of the uh, tour across Canada to let people know about Waybase. And that's where we really got to know you and we really got to know Canada and winter. <laughs> Lots that I, I refer to that as the snow tour, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but that was really the bringing the vision of Waybase to Canadian Christian leaders. And maybe you could just share with us a little bit, Tim, about the bigger vision of Waybase. And then because we are a podcast dealing with issues of poverty, how is Waybase going to help us all come alongside vulnerable populations? Mm, Great questions. In terms of the broader vision of Waybase, and this is, you know, kind of not an ivory tower vision that just kind of came down from on high. It's really something that was formed over a lot of conversations, and it's still being built. It's, It's something that's being, I describe as being built together, not being built together by the church, not being built for the church. In other words, there's a lot of people contributing in a lot of ways to make this come together. Organizing the information of 30,000-some ministries that operate in countries all over the world and operate with every kind of population and category is not a small undertaking. And I found that out. Like, next time you tell me to build a mass aggregating platform for a country, (laughs) remind me how much work it is, okay? So it's like, you know, you're getting into, like, I don't know if it's going to be a billion data points by the time we're done, but it's it's a tremendous amount of information okay, wow. that ends up being brought into this type of thing. But the vision of it ultimately is to be able to accurately map the church and all of its relevant um, information related to our mission and who we are and who's doing what. So that we can relate together and, and you know find better partnerships, identify gaps. And then, you know, discern together. Really, it's a relationship-building discernment process, just like you would do with a local community. If you got a group together, let's say, to start a church, and you say, okay, we're going to start a church, and we've got 50 people here, what would you do? You kind of get to know, well, who are we? What do we have to offer? What is God doing among us? And then, you know, what can we do together that we can't do just as a group of individuals operating on our own? And that's essentially, this is an opportunity for us to expand our horizons, uh, both in terms of, of our, our networks of relationships, um, but also then to expand our horizons in terms of our imagination and our thinking of what we might be able to do together as we understand who, you know, where the different gifts lie using that kind of uh, imagery from the Bible. So that's our, that's our vision behind it. And we've mapped 
We are in the process of continuing to map. Our next phase of mapping is our, the relief and development projects globally in all the different countries. So it's not just in Canada, but it's globally, which is uh, exciting. So we're just going to mm-hmm. continue to enrich and improve the environment so people can have a better and better understanding of how the church is at work in the world and uh, where they might be able to join partnership or um, jump in. We've added into this data map all the demographic data in Canada that's available through public census. And those are backed up from previous uh, census. And then when new ones come out, one's coming out in 2021, we'll update that. What that allows us to do is start to analyze the populations and where the church is operating. And to uh, because of where people live in poverty in Canada and the different factors that play into that, as well as other types of populations that are at risk that it might not be related to income, but might be related to marginalization or, you know, being new Canadians have a, you know, different integration problem and sometimes are at risk in ways, uh, you know, they they might have enough food to eat and they might have a place to stay, but they might be in risk in other areas. Mm -hmm. And so by creating that type of environment, it does a couple of things. One is it allows people who lead in poverty to help educate and make Christians and Christian leaders more aware of their issues. Creates a more dynamic environment where you can kind of, they can all kind of look in and look at what's going on in their communities and become more and more educated. And then as those leaders who are on the front lines call out specific needs or new opportunities, I'll give you a real practical one recently been in dialogue with. People coming out of incarceration needing community support to resettle, women and men. There are um, people who have probably experienced, it's quite likely, some sort of uh, race-related discrimination Hmm. um, or marginalization Hmm. that has set them up on a course to be at much higher risk of being incarcerated. And so when they come back out, how do they receive, if they've been marginalized or if they've been stigmatized a particular way, how do they find community and resettle? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the ministries that work with them Prison Fellowship, Salvation Army, others need more church partners, particularly during COVID in the follow-up year year or so, need more church partners to help in this. And so there's a great example where by mapping it all out, explaining it, organizing it, you know, we can take that type of topic and become more practical in terms of how we respond. We hope to do the same thing internationally, that as we bring in country data, map all the different organizations, this is working, let's say Food for the Hungry works closely with the Canadian Relief and Development Association with their member partners. How can we then identify Okay, how are we all doing? Are there particular resources needed that need to be kind of shared, best practices, uh, other types mm-hmm. of connections? Or maybe there's a greater crises, there are particular crises in an area that for Christian leaders of churches and different organizations, we may not be aware of because we're listening to the news and a lot of times the news presents not the greatest crisis in the world, but the crisis of most interest to the most mm-hmm. number of people. Mm-hmm. So if there's a crisis that's going on, there might be a real humanitarian disaster. It doesn't mean that it's actually coming to our attention. So this will create an environment where we can better educate Christian leaders and give them an environment to track with this to say, okay, this is a crisis area. What can we do? Yeah. The efficiency of communication that this creates is just mind-boggling to me. That's been one of the things that stood out to me right from the get-go with with getting to know Tim and and your team at Waybase. Because that communication leads to impact. That increased efficiency leads to impact. And that word gets thrown around a lot. 
in, I mean, many different sectors, but particularly in the poverty alleviation sector. And I'd love to just hear from you, Tim, like what, what are people talking about when, when that word impact gets thrown around? Uh, people uh, use that word most commonly right now to talk about a, a positive and lasting change. So a lot of organizations have been really faithful and have accomplished a lot by measuring services delivered. Okay, so they'll talk about outputs. Sometimes you might hear this phrase. Mm-hmm. What's your output? What are you outputting? Are services delivered? And we shouldn't minimize the value of services delivered because for hundreds of years, <laughs> delivering services has helped a lot of people. Now I realize sometimes there's a, a kickback where you create a dependency and maybe you know something unhealthy happens that is, is not what you want it to have. Okay, so mm-hmm. we as humans, we don't have a perfect track record. <laughs> You know, we live, <laughs> we learn, sure. hopefully, so then we forget, and then we have to relearn. <laughs> you know, we have a lot of issues, okay? But having said that, we still should think, you know, compared to 2,000 years ago to today, we live in a ra- wildly different world, hmm. particularly because people are following Jesus' teaching and we're um, out serving. Having said that, there's been an increased desire to create lasting change. And so that's where I think they tend to use the word impact more, yeah. because that kind of suggests an impression Something has changed here fundamentally. And so then there's a shift of conversation from what am I outputting to what is the outcome? What is the result? What is happening in people's lives? The quality of life? What are they experiencing? How can they live differently because of what they've experienced? So I think that's kind of all bundled up in that word impact. And the phrase you used there, uh, shifting from outputs to outcomes, how do you see that connected to poverty reduction? Poverty reduction is a word that says there's a negative effect happening on someone's life. We want to reduce that negative effect. Mm -hmm. There's also another end of that scale or spectrum, which sometimes people use the word thrive. And what they're talking about then is moving from, uh, and, and then in between you have sustainable. So if you want to kind of pick up, you guys, you know, I don't know if this is fair, can I say this kind of buzzwords? Sure, or common mm-hmm. words. Okay. Yeah. So the UN will talk about sustainable development goals. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they tend to use the word sustainable, which means we have a, a community that can sustain. And it's not going to go into crisis. It's not going to go, it's not going to collapse or fail because of maybe natural disaster or political instability. It's sustainable. It has enough infrastructure and stability. It's, it's good. That's different than being an impoverished community. And that is different than a thriving community. Mm-hmm. Right, it's just kind of the middle ground. Mm-hmm. So I think when we talk about these words, what we're really talking about is what do we need to do on an ongoing basis to keep supporting each other through the process, and that's a mutual learning. We shouldn't come in and think, okay, rich people have all the answers, and people who experience poverty have nothing to offer. That's a completely mm-hmm. false paradigm. Mm-hmm. Many times, people with much have many problems. <laughs> okay. They can have addictions, they can have destructive families, and then you come into a more impoverished community and they have vital relationships, they have uh, deep love, they have deep joy, they have great creativity, um, they have great resilience. And so there's a lot to learn from them too as well. Like this is a, a growing together, reconnecting our relationships so we can all thrive, uh, if I can use that word. So, but it's a continuum there. And where they might need help from partners, in the journey, those partners also benefit from that relationship. There's mm-hmm. things to be learned and growth to experience from being friends with people and learning how to share. 
and to pass wisdom between each other. So I see it all in terms of poverty reduction and impact. Another way that you can see it is how do we, uh, or the listeners, you you guys are kind of experts in this, but you know, from my seat, how do we help all of us keep moving along this path and know that sometimes we'll regress, hmm. we'll struggle, and we go back. It, you know, it isn't like there's just always a one-way street in life. And, you know, and that's why keeping these supportive relationships flowing is today I might have something to offer, but the next day I may have a need. And so by building these relationships, uh, we can open ourselves up to how God wants to work through those relationships. When we were, this is a meeting house story, we had a partnership in Southern Africa with a number of countries. And uh, the AIDS crisis uh, at that time was large. And there was a lot of um, supports uh, needed. Also, they had some uh, other factors that were challenging them at the time because of the economic uh, collapse. If you remember back in 2008, there's a big drop, right, in the economy. There's mm-hmm. big uh, shakeup, uh, 2008, 2009. So we had teams of leaders coming over to kind of report on our partnership, and we had sent teams over there as well. But there's one trip in particular when they came over. The team that came over, and this is from different different parts of Africa, they kind of came as a team to report they brought such an infusement of wisdom, of just bringing like, I, I would describe it almost as the presence of God and being able to address mm-hmm. our issues and speak into certain issues. It was like messengers from God came to help us. And I was like, who's helping who here? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, honestly, we came back and said, we got more out of it. Most of the time, we actually were more spiritually enriched, leadership mm-hmm. enriched challenge deepened by our engagement with them then we you know often feel like okay we're you know we're giving you practical support and specific things that you might need but you're literally changing the our hearts and minds and challenging us in ways that we we you know you, you can it's hard to quantify the value of their mm-hmm. mentorship their input in our lives so it yeah. definitely uh, it was one of those um, you know real practical moments I'm like Hmm. I will never pre-decide who's helping who <laughs> when I build a friendship. It's beautiful. Um, some of our listeners, Tim, just kind of changing the direction here a little bit, may have heard words or terms like food deserts. And so want to just explore that a little bit. What is a desert when it comes to this world of data mapping and then again, how might this be used in addressing issues of poverty? Yeah, um, if you run across those terms, some you know that might appear in newspaper articles or news articles. They'll talk about deserts. What they're doing is they're saying there's a set of services or or av- accessible resources that just aren't available in an area. I'll give you something really practical, and this is like a study done by government where. A food desert might be a place where there's no uh, grocery stores that are easy to access with the available transit for people. Mm. So they end up going to convenience stores instead and are unable to buy fresh produce. And as a result, um, because they're not consuming fresh produce and uh, fresh food, there's a higher increase in disease in the area. Mm. So Mm. although they have maybe enough money to buy the food that's there, it it still is kind of leaving them malnourished, in a sense, Mm. or leaving them more at risk. So this concept of food desert is kind of like, something is missing from my environment for me to be able to have what I need to live. 
mm-hmm. and to live well. And so how do we identify that? And so some of the work that you do with data mapping is related to program services, populations, and you kind of analyze and to say, where are the gaps? I'll give you another exa- example in Canada. Are there services for people who speak a not well-known language? They're mm-hmm. in Canada, and English is a second language for them, maybe a third or fourth language for them. And they need services, and they would be really helped by a community that speaks their mother tongue or one of their better known tongues that they speak. That's one of those things that, you know, it's easy to forget that that's a reality for somebody, (laughs) you know, Mm. that people living among us, and we just kind of carry about because we speak English or French and we're fine. But actually those are the types of things that really do play out for vulnerable populations, feeling a sense of connection and community. New Canadians coming in, if they, and here's a practical example of where the church has a unique contribution, uh, I think a special contribution. We do tend to offer a lot of big and small churches that offer services in different languages. That's we're we're unusual that way. Okay, Mm -hmm. if you go on Waybase, you look up like you know and do some searching around around um, services in other uh, languages, non-official languages. You'll find in most cities just a ton of them. So what's unique about that is when new Canadians come, if they come through as a refugee or asylum seeker, if they come through a Christian program, the chances of them having a job within a year is like 9 out of 10 have a job within a year. If they go through a government program, this is told to me by someone at a city hall, if they go through a government program, only 10% have a job. And we were talking about this and saying, why? Why is that different? And I said, well, it's easy. We're just one big network. We're just one big community, right? Somebody comes in, it's like somebody talk to somebody and somebody help somebody get a job. But when we offer these services in different languages, it makes it so much easier for them to come. They're welcome not as a client, not as a new Canadian. They're just welcome for who they are. Oh, and there's what's the likelihood of finding somebody then who might be know some, you know, kind of like, oh, I know somebody from that city or that village or that area, that province. I know, and then all of a sudden they start to feel at home, and those relationships then open up new opportunities, problem solving, and community. I just get a sense, you know, that's coming back to your original answer as well around relationships, because it's not what you know, it's who you know. We, you know, we've heard this this phrase so many times, and so that's a phenomenal example that you just gave there of the difference between. You know, someone who's new to the country, being connected through a, a Christian community, being able to find work at a, at a much higher rate than someone who goes through a governmental system. And I'm reminded, you know, through that example of another concept that you sh- have shared a number of times, Tim, and every time you talk about it, it just kind of blows my mind. Um, and that is, I believe it's called the halo impact or halo effect or something like that. I would absolutely love if you could share a bit more about that and just just to kind of encourage the Canadian Christian community that Mm -hmm. there's horsepower here and there's power in us working together and if we were to you know I know that I won't take away from what you're about to say but if we were to all disappear our absence would be felt so if you could speak to that that would just be amazing no that's that's great the halo study was started in the US then it was replicated here in Canada verified in Canada And basically what it was meant to do is create a monetary value for charitable faith community. In other words, not welfare programs, but congregations. Congregations of people coming together for religious activities. What's their value to society? And what do they actually do? Like, are they just kind of like private clubs that get together and, you know, just take care of their own and that's all? 
Well, in this study, what it showed is that is it's a real multiplying effect. Somewhere around, if you give a dollar to a, a Christian congregation, it's a net effect out on the community is is a you know four times. It's like four point seven dollars of value come back into the community. Now people think, well, now what's the magic wand of this? Like when they do the study, like what's the you know, is this just like a Tinkerbell goes around and touches things with a magic wand and everything <laughs> magical happens? It isn't actually magic. It's actually, it's a very, it's quantifying something that happens, a dynamic that happens that we forget happens or we don't pay attention to. And that is congregations operate on volunteer power. So they're an active bunch and they're just, nobody's getting paid for it. They're just doing it because, well, you know, my church asked me to or these types of things. And all sorts of things happen by volunteers. And the biggest cost in social services is the cost of human resources, is paying for people. So Christian congregations, one, tend to, you know, keep their buildings and keep them for a long time. Uh, they don't tend to spend a ton on their buildings, right? They tend to be super efficient on, you know, who wants to spend money fixing the roof? You know, that's like, there are always uh, these pushbacks, you know, uh, mm-hmm. we can make it do. Or if you do need to fix something, someone in the congregation comes and fixes it for you. Right. <laughs> like it's like, yeah. yeah, oh no, I'll look at all I'll put in that furnace or whatever. You know, we're just incredibly economic economical about how we do things and it's all volunteer power. So when you start adding that up, all the services provided, counseling, and the spin-off effects that you're creating hubs of activity where people are running events and going out and you know, from just creating that spin-off effect that people after church even go out to restaurants. Right, mm-hmm. and they they pick up. You start spinning that out. Is that these are like little beehives of activity that improve communities, and if they disappear, that there's a burden that gets shifted onto social services, and there's a decrease in programming that doesn't happen in communities, youth programming, kids programming, camp programming, all sorts of stuff that is uh, would be sorely missed. So that's what the halo mm-hmm. effect uh, offers in terms of our size. When we've measured it, we're kind of in the impact zone of like, I think somewhere around $40 billion in services that we offer across Canada. But in terms of our size of staff and part-time staff, when you combine our staff or part-time staff, not including our volunteer power, which a ton of people have near equivalent full-time volunteers too, okay? Mm -hmm. We rival uh, in terms of the social service sector, like government programming. Like we're, we're about, we're almost like a shadow government in terms of uh, how much programming we offer. Now, the great thing about us is, and this is not for pride's sake when you say about our potential, we, we don't know that we do this. Well, I use the illustration, mm. we're kind of like, the church is kind of like Bill Gates standing in line at a hamburger shop and nobody really notices it's Bill Gates. And it's like, oh, mm. there's some nice old, there's a nice man over there getting a hamburger. And you look <laughs> twice and say, like, wait, it's Bill Gates. And then, you know, the church is kind of like, we're like Bill Gates, like we're out changing the world and, you know, having billions of dollars mm. impact, but we're like kind of just standing in line and, oh, well, you know, just do stuff, you know, I just... I give to my church and I give to different ministries and I'm just doing doing those small things. We don't realize our impact collectively. We kind of have a lack of self-awareness that way. So some of this is to kind of help people realize like, hey, if we even improve what we do, 5%, we literally unlock hundreds of millions of dollars of services that help people. So can we just be a bit more coordinated, reduce a little bit of duplication, and um, more people will be helped in Jesus' name. 
that's one of the things that struck me when I began to understand the impact that Waybase can have was the silo nature of our local churches and how often we hardly know what the church five blocks down is doing, never mind what the church across Canada is doing. And I, I so appreciate the work that you and your team are doing to bring that to our awareness. And I think there's just something really inspiring about, hey, we have this collective impact here. Look at what we're doing individually, but look what we have the potential to do together. And so I would just say, if you're listening today and you have questions about this or you would like to comment on this, please feel free to reach out to us at podcast at fhcanada.org because we'd love to continue this conversation and hear what kind of questions and comments you have. And I say that because, Tim, I mentioned earlier that Eric and I were part of the tour that you were on. I think I probably heard your presentation about six times before I really started to wrap my head around what Waybase is. And how can people find Waybase? Where where are they? What's available to the average person in Canada today? Uh, they can go to waybase.com. It's in the middle of being relaunched, Waybase 2.0. And so have a little bit of grace. Uh, by the end of January, it should be up uh, to the full function. But if they want to check it out, there's a lot there for them to kind of learn about. We're also launching a new app called the Engage app, which is for individuals to organize their spiritual life to increase the difference that they're making and, and kind of take the different inputs uh, that they have. And, you know, if you think of almost like a fitness app, it's about kind of getting yourself organized to make a difference. So that's coming out in the new year as well. And then we're hoping to do, you mentioned the, the city events. We, we're hoping to share all of these uh, resources in kind of a February, March timeframe to do events across the country, online events, because we are still trying to move through this pandemic. And there's a lot of needs when you talk about vulnerable populations. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we anticipate that with the, the second wave coming in so high and so hard, that there'll be a lot of, by February, March, there's going to be a lot of um, need in our community. So we're hoping to host these events and use Waybase as a resource to kind of communicate those needs, allow people to track what's needed in their community so churches and Christians can can support um, what's going on. Also, as well, to be aware of the international. I don't want to minimize that. We are going to be talking yeah. about that um, many countries of the world are suffering greatly. So we have to think both and rather than either or. We have to think about our Canadian communities, but we have to think abroad as well. So Tim, one of my one of my favorite questions to ask guests and as we're, you know, kind of near the beginning of this podcast, looking forward to gleaning wisdom from so many wonderful, insightful folks like yourself. For those who are listening and might be wondering the same thing, what are some of the books or readings or resources that you have found helpful in your own journey of kind of ending up where you are in in this work? One of the books that I've just read that I absolutely love and highly recommend is Manifesto for a Moral Revolution. Manifesto for a Moral Revolution. Uh, Jacqueline um, Novokratz is, she's the executive director of a fund called the Acumen Fund. And they uh, provide capital startup for companies that serve the poorest of the poor. And so their their way of developing sustainable economies is to support companies that are 
kind of renewing um, more highly impoverished areas and allowing impoverished people to have the ability to build sustainable you know, economies and businesses. That's her work. Her, she's married to the guy that does TED Talks. So they're one of these like high powered New York couples. Oh, okay. But she's she's a, a force to be reckoned with. And uh, her mm. book is excellent. She was raised, I think, connected to like um, Jesu- Jesuits. And so you'll find, you know, some reference in there and it has a real Christ-like value set built within it, but she's writing it to a secular audience. Mm. But it's still... A very very rich uh, resource, and if you want to find words, one of the things I really appreciate about her is she talks in a way that I feel like I could talk to anybody hmm. about mm. these issues, and she kind of gives words and ways of describing it in a very Christ-like way. But it's like, oh, I could talk to anybody if I used her mm. language, and so I just want to recommend that as a great book. Thank you, and we will add that to our list of recommended resources on our website. And so great to have your input. Tim, we just want to thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate you, the work you do, and the way that you are so intentionally working for the church in Canada and around the world, and how you are giving opportunities and providing a platform really for us to come together and to increase the impact. And so we thank God for you, and we just thank you that you've been willing to spend some time with us here today. It's my privilege. Love working with you guys. Uh, Food for the Hungry and Ending Poverty Together, all that you're doing is fantastic. So thank you. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, to explore what your next steps could be or to find out more about Waybase and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, we recommend also starting by checking out fhcanada.org slash resources. Tim, thank you again.